Amen. It literally hardly feels like our church service here um, from this point, but we're a lot closer, so I guess I can't scream as much as I uh, normally do, but uh, what a great privilege to be here, to be gathered here. Um, I, like, if, if I, before I get into preaching, can I say something? That's what a preacher would say, right? Um, but there have been so many cool things about the way this has come together. Like the reality of being able to move a, an entire church family of our size in a little over two to two and a half months over a Christmas season in a place like Calgary is really a miracle and what has kind of come together. Um, and, and if you see the kids' space, you will totally understand why we're here. Um, it's going to make a huge difference for our kids' stuff. And we, we just had a lot of the grace of God, even as we've experienced um, kind of some of the process of what's been going on. Uh, we, bu- we had budgeted quite a bit of money uh, for the move because it, it, it required a total shift in the way we set up and the way we were storing things. And uh, just, for instance, one of the things was we, we budgeted about $10,000 for a cube van that would work and, and start and was large enough. And we were, end up able being able to come in about half. It cost us about $5,000 after we fixed the truck up. Um, it was just an incredible thing. With the, the cases that um, are, we're storing things with were donated. Um, and just a lot of things that uh, we, we just couldn't expect. Uh, we prayed for it, but we didn't expect to happen. And we're just so grateful uh, that Jesus has allowed us to be here. I think this is just the start of I think a great opportunity for us, in some ways a refocusing of, of what's going on. Okay, that's the preamble, um, but I'm just delighted to, to share um, what's going on, I think, moving forward. And last week we, in the theater, we just talked about how much um, we were thankful to God for what He had, he had done. And it was remarkable, really, when you think about all of the different things that he had done in our lives and through our church and in us through our church and what was going on there and all the ways in which God had, had provided for us and he had grown his love for himself in us. Um, and this is a new chapter for us. And there are some here this morning that actually maybe you've been a part of Urban Grace, maybe you haven't. There's some that are fairly new, I'm sure, and we welcome you. We're super stoked that you're here. We're amazed that you could find the building. Apparently, it's not that easy to find. Uh, Your GPS lies to you regularly is what we found out. Um, So we're doing our best to make sure this is as clear as possible to get to. But some of you may not really know the vision. Others have really forgotten it. Others don't really care. You You tolerate this sort of thing. But I think it's important for every single one of us. And the reason why is the Bible regularly talks about the fact that um, vision is part of the people of God. Knowing and understanding where we're going and where Jesus has called us to is is critically important if we want to even understand if we want to get there. And so this morning, I'm just going to take the time to break down some of these things and hopefully in some ways, this is to fire us up for the new year. I would do this if we were in the theater anyways, but I think it's a perfect time for us to do it here um, at the Kirby Center, which we will herein refer to now as the KC. I think that's much easier for us to say. Um, but you've heard those, and, and by the way, Matt, thanks for preaching my sermon ahead of time. Um, that, 
that was exactly uh, what I want to talk about. I want to go into a little more detail, but I want to just give you our, our vision statement with where we're at. So if you could turn that slide, one of the things we don't have is internet here, so I'm going to rely on my friends at the back to turn the next slide, um, which is going to eventually say that this is our vision statement, that we as a church want to make disciples that impact the city. We say it's a working, work in progress because that doesn't completely tell you everything there is to know about our church. We've got to unpack what each one of those words mean. We've got to talk about what a disciple is. We've got to talk about what it means to impact the city. And we've got to talk about what it means to make disciples. But essentially, the reason why we're at that, uh, we've arrived at that kind of statement is that that describes, for the most part, in short form, what we're about and how we think in terms of expectations upon people and where we're trying to push people and where we're trying to help people um, grow and mature. Because sometimes churches, all they want to do is put people in seats. Sometimes churches, all they want to do is make people comfortable. Sometimes churches, they don't even really believe the gospel. I know it happens. It shouldn't happen, which is why we're committed to planting as many gospel-preaching churches as there is, as there are. But we believe that our job as a church, and especially as church leadership, is to help you make disciples that impact the city. This allows for people that don't yet believe the gospel to still be impacted by the goodness of Jesus Christ, even though there are lots of people in our city who do not yet claim the name of Jesus Christ as King and their Savior. They do not follow Him. We think that they can still be impacted by the goodness of the gospel. And so let me start to break that down for you. What is a disciple even? Some of you, this is actually just a review, but some this is brand new and you're just going to hear this. Disciple is a word that the Bible uses often. The Bible doesn't use the word Christian very often. In fact, the only time or the first time that the word Christian actually comes up in the Bible is when people who were not Christians were trying to make fun of people who were following Jesus. And so they just called them little Christ or Christians. There's not really a, a word in some ways that's very helpful to use because it's, it's just a description that someone who was not following Jesus gave of someone who was who was following Jesus, but notice in the way that they called them Christians, they were, they were trying to make fun of them, but they were saying they imitate Christ. So they're like little Christs. That's a perfect description, though, of a disciple. Someone who follows Jesus. They, they, they start to look like him in terms of maybe not physically, but they start to... to you, you've met, you have friends like this, right? You, they hang out enough together. Have you ever met two friends and they start to look like one another and it's really kind of creepy and weird and you're like, are you sisters? Are you brothers? And you actually, you have the same mannerisms. You have the same inside jokes. You start looking and sounding exactly like one another. Well, this is what we are to be like when we follow Jesus. We're to start literally imitating Jesus. But we can't do, we're not just about imitating Jesus in morality. A disciple is someone who has first of all been saved by Jesus Christ, but then is has given wholeheartedly all the control of their entire life over to Jesus Christ in every manner. Some people get confused about what Christianity is. They think Christianity is a set of values, maybe a set of morals. Maybe a Christ, Christian is, is kind of like, it's a designation that you use on your taxes or on forms. But actually... The definition of a disciple is someone who gives 
Jesus Christ, everything. They admit, first of all, that they're a sinner. They admit that they have sinned and they've fallen clearly short of God's expectation upon people. You see, everything starts out really good, but then in the very beginning, we, we, we make it all wrong. In the very beginning of the story of God, this is, this is the story that Adam and Eve are great, 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 keep going with the greats, grandparents, made a decision to follow themselves instead of following God. And for, from then on, God said, you will struggle to follow me and you will need a savior. And from that time on, I believe, God put a plan in place to send his son Jesus who would one day reconcile us together back to God. A disciple is someone who, who wholeheartedly says, Jesus, you don't just have the spiritual part of my life, you actually have all of my life. You have the way I deal with my finances. You have the way I deal with my sexuality. You have the way I deal with my marriage and my friendships. You have the way I deal with my time. You, have, you actually have control over the very mission of my life. You know, a lot of people these days are saying it's important to have a personal mission statement. Well, a disciple of Jesus has Jesus for their mission statement, that their life is about Jesus. There's a, there's a group of parables, uh, or sorry, a group of proverbs at the very beginning of one of the books of the Bible called Mark, the Gospel of Mark. It's a story of where, uh, the, the Gospels are stories where, whereby a writer tells basically the whole life of Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark is probably the shortest one of these stories. We often call it the Gospel of Mark. If you, I don't think we have our Bibles here today. It's one of the uh, things we forgot in the theater that we'll have to go back and get. Um, it's kind of weird to say that out loud now, actually. The church forgot the Bibles in the theater. Um, but anyways, listen along. I put it up on the screen for you. I think it's the next slide uh, wide, if you will. And I just want to read this for you. Um, this, this particular passage, is again, is right at the very beginning of the whole... You can turn in your app. Most of you are on an app anyways. Um, this is the very beginning of the story of Mark. And it's just as Jesus begins to preach, and it's actually set in the context whereby he, he talks about the instruction of listening carefully to his word and how that actually works itself out. And then he, he talks about, the, and, and scholars will say this is four, four or five different proverbs that they just kind of group together to give a, a general understanding of, of kind of how Jesus is going to teach and I, I, I love these particular verses because I think they begin to show us some principles of a very upside-down kingdom. You see, a disciple of Jesus is, is, is committed to kind of an upside-down kingdom or a backwards kingdom. A kingdom that doesn't kind of make sense sometimes and seems counterintuitive to the way that we naturally think. And you hear this with different phrases. But these particular proverbs, so to speak, that are kind of grouped together in sentences, I think are very instructional for us. And I want to read them out. And he said to him, that is Jesus, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? It's a good question for us. Simple question. Simple answer. In some ways, no. That's the right response to that. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, or let them hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. 
For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I know, really self-explanatory, right? Makes perfect sense. No, they're, they're kind of proverbs that when you just kind of take them out of context, and believe me, many preachers do, if you're ever watching late night religious television, you may or may not hear one of these proverbs spoken out loud. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, we don't watch religious television in our house, right? I'm kidding. But essentially, they begin to show us this upside downness of the way Jesus thinks and talks. He's essentially saying that he is a light and that he did not come into this world to be kept secret from people, but to be given away. To be set on a table or a lamp. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. We, you can shout it out if you want. What do you do with a lamp? Do you put it underneath the table? No. Only if you're moving and there's nowhere else to put the lamp at this point. When you're thinking of where to put the light in your room, you're probably thinking in the most visible, most accessible place in the entire room, aren't you? Isn't that what you're supposed to put lights for? Like if you walk into a building and they have lights on the ground and they're covered so you can't use them, you would say, you guys clearly do not understand the concept of light and how it works. And this is exactly what Jesus is actually trying to say about himself. He is saying two things, I think. He's saying, I am the light, which by the way, I think is a fairly impressive statement to make about yourself. For those who would say that, oh, I believe that Jesus is a great teacher, but nothing more, I would say, Jesus claimed some fairly extreme things, like, I am the light of the world. Like, if you went to college and your professor stood up and said, I am the way to all truth, you would say, um, refund on this class because this dude is crazy. But that's what Jesus is saying. All truth and understanding, all wisdom will go through me. I'm the light that will reveal things in the dark to you. It's an enormous statement about who Jesus is, but it also tells us what we should do with the light. How we're to respond to Jesus once we know that he's the light. What do we do? Do we keep that to ourselves? I'm afraid that's what a lot of us do. We think of Jesus something that's for us personally, but I tell you this. Jesus is meant to be given away. We're a, a church that wants to grow, I think. At least I do. But Jesus is saying, if you, you, you have to understand how I work, how I think, who I am, and understand that I am not here just for you. I'm here to be given away. And I want us to, to, to use this phrase as we think about these three things in terms of vision. That some of us have this concept of church, and I'm not here to necessarily break all your concepts of church. I'm here to destroy them. Some of you are awake for that. What I'm here to say is this is counterintuitive for us because we think that our growth has to do with something called hoarding. Everyone, anyone obsessed with a show called hoarding? No? Nobody? It's just me. Okay, let me explain this concept to you. Um, how, how does... How does the definition in Wikipedia call it? Hoarding by definition is the persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions regardless of their actual value. Now, I watched the show Hoarder, 
hoarders. Uh, one of my friends of mine accuses me of being a hoarder, um, but I, I, I'm like, hey, that, that's, that's good milk. We don't got to throw that away. Um, it's, it's a joke. He's a, he likes things. He's yeah, very simple in that sense. And okay, I like stuff more than the average person. I get that. But when I watch these shows, I realize that I, I'm, I, I have it pretty easy compared to a lot of people. And I am amazed what people keep to themselves. Like, like I am amazed that there are people who have filled their entire house with stuff that is so useless. And it becomes even more useless because they don't know where it is. Like it's amazing. As they clean these places out, they find stuff that they didn't remember. They knew they had it, but they couldn't even find it. That's how much stuff they have. And so it's crazy how this kind of ethos has, has worked itself in. But I would say this, as Christians, we're hoarders sometimes. We hoard Jesus. We hoard family. And we hoard mission. We think it's for us. We collect. Like churches, sometimes they talk about wanting to grow and collecting a lot of people. The whole concept is to give people away and, 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 and give mission away and give the gospel away. And so in, in a sense, sometimes churches can be hoarders. I don't want us to be a hoarding church. I want us to be a church that willingly gives things away. And here's the cool thing about the way that Jesus works is that he says that's the way you actually grow. This is the way the gospel grows in your life when you give it away and you apply it, and you give yourself away. You gain deeper understanding of the gospel. When you offer family to one another instead of hoarding family for yourself, you actually get a greater understanding of who God is. And when mission is not hoarded to a few paid people, but is given to everyone, you actually grow, and you can't even stop the growth. But it's counterintuitive for us. It's counterintuitive for us. We're so used to, if we want to grow personally in the gospel, we get more information, right? I get by myself, I learn more, I read more, I get, I get away, I get more stuff. And I would say the gospel really begins to grow in your life when you start giving it away. I would also say that about family. I've heard it, it's not necessarily a rebuke, but I've heard people say, I love the smallness of our church. Here's the problem, we're not committed to the smallness of our church. And at some point, it's going to be uncomfortable for you and me because it's going to be larger than what we personally love. But here's what I say. We don't truly begin to understand what community is like unless we offer it to those who do not yet have the family that we experience. And I think the same thing can be said with mission. Let me close this thing out as we talk through this. You just go a little deeper. And so start with the... The uh, go back to slide number whatever where it says gospel. The gospel must be given away to be fully experienced. By given away, here's what I mean by that. I mean literally like it needs to be applied. When I, when I looked up this in the, in the, in the dictionary um, and I looked up, it, it said the gospel must be appropriated. That's a big word for us. I was like, I had to look up the word exactly what appropriated means. It means applied. Apply to something. The gospel must be continually applied to our lives. It must be con continually spoken of. It must be continually used. 
Um, I'll give you an example of this. The next slide shows a tape measure. Uh, I used to spend some time in construction industry. I know, you can tell, right? I, I loved being in the construction. There was just nothing like it for me. Except for those super windy days in Cochrane where my face, like literally my face was always windburned. That's the only thing I didn't like. But I loved the smell of sawdust. I, I'm terrible with numbers, but I loved measuring things. I loved cutting once and measuring twice. It was awesome. As we put this cube van together, you will notice one side was cut by someone who is in the construction industry and one side was cut by me. You will be able to tell which one it is. I'm going to fix that as soon as I can so you can't tell that. But one thing I noticed is that I, I, I got a tape measure there because I'm terrible with numbers and I don't really know fractions all that well, but I was amazed how well I could start getting to know fractions and I wrote them down because I forgot them. But I remember going, like I could start to see, you know, there's those tape measures where they have them written right on the tape measure for people like me, right? So that you don't have to be like, okay, that's one of 16 little things, so that's one sixteenth. It writes it on there for you so you don't have to remember this stuff. You know, there's one, one sixteenth, one eighth, three sixteenths, quarter, five sixteenths. I have to read them now. There was a day when I knew them. And I didn't have to think about it. Do you know what that day was? when I was using a tape measure multiple times per day. When I was applying the use of a tape measure when I could pull it out and I was measuring things all the time and I was appropriating that use, that knowledge to the boards constantly and I didn't actually have to remember these things. I just knew them well because I was using it all the time. Here's what I would say about the gospel is the gospel is not protected just when we know it and know that it's true. The gospel is protected in our lives. The gospel is multiplied in our lives. The gospel grows in our life when we, we start giving it away. We start telling it to other people. We start applying it in our own lives and, and revealing in our families what's going on in our own life. I can tell you this, if this Sunday morning, one, on Sunday morning is the only time you're ever learning the gospel and applying the gospel, you will be like me with the tape measure. You will need to have a book beside you to help you with this. What has Jesus done in your life? You know, there are people, there are Christians who go, when you ask them that question, what has Jesus actually done for you? They stare at you like, what do you mean, what has he done for me? That is not something that someone who is constantly using the gospel and filling themselves with the gospel will ever say. If you know how much of a sinner you are, if you know how much you need Jesus, if you understand what he did on the cross for us, if you understood what it costs God to come from his comfortable, cozy place on earth to mission in the form of his son, if you know what it means for him to hang on the cross, if you know who he was and what he said about himself and that he decided he wanted to pay personally for my and your sins, and you keep that in your heart, I tell you, you won't have any problem revealing this to other people. It will come out of you. You, sque you get squeezed, you come, the gospel will come out. That's how it works. But some of us are hoarding the gospel in our lives. We're waiting for this moment where we have all this great knowledge about who Jesus is. And I say, understand who he is for yourself personally and you will have no problem revealing it to other people. This is our vision. This is why every week, this is why when we do announcements, Matt breaks down the gospel for you. 
The good news about Jesus. That's why it's drilled into our heads so that not only could Matt say it, but everyone could say it. That's the hope one day. Is that when Matt talks about it at the very beginning, you say, that's what I believe, that's what I know. I needed that this morning. I used that this morning. I could have got up there and I'd be like, if, if you can get up here and do that, see Matt after the service. But that's what we're, that's our vision. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who knows exactly what Jesus has done for him and is yearning to find out. What else? Second slide, why? Family. You know, as I put, family must be given away to be fully realized. And I would say this is a pinch point for us sometimes. I'll tell you where I hear this. Some don't like our church family because it's not big enough. They can't hide. Some don't like our church family because it's too big. Those things are preference things. Let me tell you that. Those are preference things. We truly believe that we will have the kind of church that Jesus gives to us, and so we have the church of this size because that's what Jesus thinks we can handle at this point. But some of us are really committed to family, but I've, I've got to remind us all the point of this church is not to have family where everyone knows everyone's name. That's not the end goal for us as a church. Do I hope we all know each other's name? I, I do. But I can remember about uh, maybe a hundred names. There's, there's some of you, I'm going to be honest. Spoiler alert, I don't remember your name. And I'm very, very, very sorry about that. When we've gone to like the meet and greet time, there's been times it's like, oh, are, are you new? It's like, actually, I've been here two months. And I'm like, oh, I miss those days when we knew everyone and it was a tight family. And I get that. Get that understanding, friends. But the point of our church is not to keep our family small. The point of our church family is not to keep our church family big. Meaning we won't do whatever it takes to keep people in seats. I was having a conversation very briefly with someone this morning. I said, you know, I can count on my hand, a number of people who we've preached the gospel and we've watched them reject the gospel outright and say, it's not for me. We've watched them walk away. We're not committed to keeping you here. We're not committed to keeping you comfortable. We will do whatever it takes to serve you and equip you, but we're not committed to keeping you in that seat in fact, we're committed to perhaps letting you go and giving you away because we believe that that is the principle that Jesus calls us to. You somebody say, this sounds kind of weird for me and, and, and where do you get that concept? Again, I'm, I want to go back to that text. You don't have to turn there, Wyatt, but just remind you of that text where, where Jesus says, even, even someone who has something will be given more and those who do not have will have it taken away. I think what he's talking about there is a proverb that if you just try to keep this to yourself, you try to keep the secret of Jesus within you, that eventually you don't end up keeping it at all. It dies. But when you, when you give it away, when you release this, when you open your hands to say, Jesus, 
have your way with the size of our family, then guess what you get? You get even greater family. You get even more. Some of you are like, man, this sounds a little bit like the health and wealth kind of preaching. No, it's not health and wealth preaching. It is simple principle that Jesus says, when you, when you give it away, you gain. He says this regularly. If you want to keep your life, what does he say? Does anyone know? You must lose it. If you want to save yourself, you must die. If you want to increase in your knowledge of Jesus, you must decrease. You see that? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, you've, you've got to give your life away to me in order to get life from me. That's how it works. In my own family, you would think it's strange if, if I said, uh, how's your family going, Trev? Great, okay? I got three girls in my family. I call it team estrogen, right? Sat in a barber's chair yesterday, and he said, how many kids do you have? And I said, two beautiful girls. And he goes, oh, aren't girls the best? I said, yes, they are. I'm kind of a big deal in my family as a result. If we had boys, I would be just one of the guys, but I'm the man, so I'm kind of a big deal. And I love it. It is the best. Okay, no offense to the boys in the room. I always tell those who are having babies, hope you have a girl, man. It is the best. Okay, I don't want to go to school with the girls. Apparently, they're really mean at school, but I love girls. I love these girls. What's my inclination there to hoard the family to myself? Now, that may seem okay now because my kids are 12 and 7, right? So we do stuff as, as a tight family. But what happens when they're 32, they're living at home, and you say, how's the family going? Good. I got two kids at home. How old are they? 32 and 27. And I love it. They make me feel great. You would say, you're not a good dad, especially considering how big the place where you live is. What am I supposed to do as these kids mature? Well, I'm supposed to send them away. I'm supposed to help them grow and mature so what? They can start their own families. And you know what happens when they do that? I get more people in my family. You see, if I hoard my family, if I try to keep it small, if I keep it for myself and my own comfort, guess what happens? I'll end up driving my kids crazy and, and they'll leave anyways. And probably my wife. But if I give them away, what happens? When I'm 100, I got a family reunion, friends. If I live to be 100, I got lots of grandkids. I got lots of sons and daughters. And I'm, I'm a great, great grandpa by that time. You see, I think this needs to be our vision for family here at Urban Grace. That we are open with our family. And by giving it away, I don't mean like not protecting our family. I don't mean like pretending that family doesn't matter. I mean like offering it to those who don't yet have it. Did you know there are people in our city who are so lonely, they don't know what it's like to have to, an opportunity to meet with family. That's a story that happens regularly here. Some people move to the city, they get connected to our church, they get involved in a city group, this is great, and they talk with their friends who aren't part of a church, and they say, you know people already in this city? Yeah, 
I meet with them every week and we have a meal together. How did you get so many friends so fast? That's a question that I've heard. I don't know, but it's funny how family works with people who are following Jesus. When it's offered, everyone wins. And the family grows and grows. And the great thing is we're committed to offering family to as many people as can take it. And we need leaders. We need spiritual parents. We're moving you on a course, whether you know it or not, towards spiritual grandparenthood so that one day we together can have a massive family reunion. We may not know everyone's name, but we're all together in this. It's funny that even though not everyone here knows everyone's name, there's something unifying about this experience, even this morning, isn't it? It's amazing. It's what Jesus said. Light on Light is meant to be put on a table. Community is meant to be offered. Jesus is meant to be available through all people. And I would say, I don't really think, and I would make the argument, you can't be a Christian without being part of a family, a real Christian. Some of you push back on that and say, wait a second, I thought this was bleep. No, because I think a big part of learning to love one another is having some one another's pretty hard to love one another and follow that command if you don't know who the one another's are. Pretty, hurt, pretty hard to, to unify around someone when you don't know who your family is. It's impossible to have unity in the church when you don't even know who to be in unity with. So I want us to be a church. I hope you want to be a church when we offer family. Some of you have been recipients of this. You were offered family when you didn't deserve it. That's perfect. That's just in line with how the gospel works. As Jesus gives us grace when we least deserve it, in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And so we can give family away because that's just like Jesus. So lastly, as I close it out, mission. How do we give mission away? It's kind of a weird way to talk about that, isn't it? But I'll tell you what. Churches for far too long have hoarded mission as well. What does that mean? I mean that mission gets pushed to a select few people within the church family who are really good at talking about Jesus. Put on the pastors, put on the leaders. Some of you are like, it's not my job to talk about Jesus. That's the pastor's job. Actually, that's the opposite. It's not my job to do the mission. It's yours. Oh, that sounds strange. It's actually in the Bible. One pastor actually said that the the job of a pastor is to equip the family for the mission, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And so he actually said, when I became a pastor, I quit the ministry. Does that make sense? Of course not, because we don't think that way. What he was saying was, I'm here to now equip you for mission. You see, if I hoard the mission in me, if you trust just in Pastor Trev to do all the proclamation and all the mission and all the family gathering, guess how big our family will be? It will shrink really fast. But if I equip you, I don't think there's anything that can stop this movement. That's what the Bible actually says, and we'll, we'll go to that in a moment. Is that the next slide? Next slide is this. What's that? 
cruise ship. Here's how I want us to think of our church, not a cruise ship. I want to give two metaphors of two really large ships. I know some of you, you're not into ships. I get that. Um, Just hold on for that. Go back to the first one. What's a cruise ship for, friends? Anyone? Eating. What else? Getaway. Come on. Someone say drinking a lot, okay? I know we're a church, but... Boozing. It's for cruising. Has anyone ever said, I want to go on a cruise ship because I want to get away and figure out what I'm going to do with my life? You ever met anyone like that? I need to get on a cruise ship so I can get my life straightened out. I am going to fast and I am going to meditate and I'm going to get away on a cruise ship. No, you don't. You go on a cruise ship to eat more than you normally eat at any time of the day you want to drink probably more alcohol than you can handle, to to relax, to get away. And yet this is what we think of sometimes in terms of churches. We think of them as cruise ships. It's places where we come and we receive and we partake. And we don't, if, if the church that we're in doesn't do things the way we like, we go to the next cruise ship where they'll offer us all we can eat. And so, hey, I know our children's ministry, we need help there. We've had some great help. There's people serving their faces off in this. But we need people to think not like a cruise ship, but like the next slide, why? What's this? Yeah, boat. You're Canadian, so you're clearly not aware of what a military is. We're not all that familiar with this, right? As Canadians, we're like, ooh, what is that? I think that's some other countries. It is. It's the U.S., of course. You know, these ships are actually roughly the same size. Do you know that they're roughly a thousand feet long on average? Do you know that probably roughly have maybe the same amount of staff on them? Do they have the same purpose? Not even close. What's a cruise ship for? A cruise ship is a place where you go to receive. An aircraft carrier is a place where you go to send. Those who are up on the whole military thing said, actually, you don't want a, uh, an aircraft carrier anywhere near the battle, not near the front line of the battle. An aircraft carrier needs to be in just the right spot where they can refuel planes and send them into battle. Here's what I want us to think of as a church. We want to be an aircraft carrier. We don't want this to be a place where you just come and receive and receive and receive and receive till you're far too mature and your your brain is too full of the knowledge of God and not practical enough. We want you to come here just long enough to get refueled, to get out back out for mission. That's what we're about. You see, we don't want to be a church that hoards the mission. We want to be an aircraft carrier that sends away Just think about this for a moment. The maximum number of people that I can probably disciple at one time, that means like help along and help mature is probably, man, if I've spent it full time, maybe five to ten. That would be like maxing it out full time. I'm probably, honestly, capable of one, maybe two discipling people. So if the mission is left to me, guess how much our church is on mission? Two people. But if every single one of you decide... 
I want to not just mature in my faith. I want to give away the gospel to someone else. I want to offer family to someone else. Guess how many people we can reach? Count them up. We can double our church in one week if we wanted to do that. This is our vision, friends. This is our vision. Not to be hoarding Christians, but to be Christians that give it away. And here's the crazy thing. I don't think we'll have to worry about growing if we do that. That's an amazing principle of Jesus. I hope that's what you want. I hope that's what you want. We want to make disciples. We want to help you understand who Jesus is. We want to help you to know what the gospel truth is. We want you to be able to know the gospel for yourself. The gospel, by the way, is the shorthand term that we use to say is all about Jesus. What he did for us, what he does through us, and what he does in us. We're committed to family because we think that you shouldn't be doing this alone. In fact, we think your spiritual life will be seriously hindered the less people you come into contact with, the less you live in family, the harder it is to live a gospel-centric life, a life that is focused on Jesus. And we want to be a church that is committed not to hoarding your mission for you, but to sending you out, to equipping you. If I go back to Mark chapter 4, just take a moment of silence and think. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Have any of you ever experienced darkness in your life? What you could call darkness, spiritual darkness, financial darkness, relational darkness, psychological darkness. Jesus actually said, I am the light to all these things. I bring light into all these things. This is news that Jesus is the answer to every question we could ever ask, even though we don't know always how it gets there. And we have it. And we have the opportunity to gather week after week after week and review this in our own lives. Friends, we cannot hoard this. We cannot hide this light under the table. We must give it away. We want to make this just like the light is supposed to be. You put the light at the top of the room. That's why I love being here in the Kirby, the KC. We want, we want someone who's interested in knowing about who Jesus is and how to follow. We want this to be as accessible as possible, just like light is supposed to be as accessible as possible. And so friends, I think there's a choice for all of us to make. Are you, are you in or are you out? I know we always ask these things. We ask pretty high standard. I get that. Some of you, you're not there yet. You need some time to think about this. But today is a great day for you to decide, I'm in. I'm committed to a church that is going to be an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. And you know what this will mean. This will cost you some comfort. You won't get to eat all you want. You won't get to drink all you want. You won't have a staff who, who waits on you hand and foot. You'll have to do some things for yourself. But I want to be an aircraft carrier. I want to enjoy all that Jesus has for us in this place, in this city. 
Would you pray with me as the band? I'll call the band up and then I'll pray for us. And Jesus, this is, this is great for me. Just to, to hear that this is what we're about. And I'm not beyond this, Jesus. I'm part of this church just like everyone else. And Jesus, today I want to say I'm in. I'm in again. And help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, first of all, to believe that the gospel is great and good and fresh and new. Help us to know within, deep within our hearts, how much we have been saved from. Jesus, shine your light into our dark, dark souls and reveal sin to us. Not so that we can be discouraged, Jesus, but so that we can understand that we have a great Savior who's willing to forgive us of all things. Teach us, Jesus, what the sacrifice is. Help us to do exactly what you said. The more we want to hang on to our lives, the less we will. And so, Jesus, teach us as a church family to know how to die to us. How to give of ourselves away so that we can receive more of you, Jesus. Help us to offer family to those who do not yet know and offer good family. Help us not to come to our families as consumers, but as givers. And Jesus, help us to be on mission together. Jesus, we can do this on our own. Our hearts are hard, they're cold, they're dark. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your power in our lives more than ever, Jesus. We we cannot proclaim this good news in our own power. We cannot change our city's hearts. We cannot force them to believe that this is good. Jesus, we can only offer it, and so you're going to have to do all of it. You're going to have to do this in our hearts, Jesus, and we don't even know how you're going to do it. But we want to believe, and we believe. Help us to believe. In your name I pray. Amen. It's our tradition as a church family to partake of the meal. And today is a good time to reflect on this. This meal, the cup and the bread, is for people who believe that Jesus Christ paid for their sins. That he was God who came in the human form, a human form, hung on a cross, paid the price for our sins, lived the life we should have li- lived, and died the death we deserved, and then exchanged that for our faith in Him. And so we invite those who believe this to come and partake in this meal together. Would you do that?